Welcome, Nexus Church Online family, to our series in the book of Mark, simply titled Mark. Over the course of this year, we've been taking a look at the book of Mark, and over this summer, we've simplified it and taken it piece by piece and examined what exactly it looks like to follow after Jesus. I love the book of Mark. It is full of stories. It's full of teachings that Jesus did for us, his followers. And it is my hope and prayer that as you followed along and listened on your own, that this encourages you, challenges you, and maybe even brings you some comfort in your life in this world that we find ourselves in. And so if you would like more information about uh, who we are as Nexus Church or would like to give online, uh, you can go to nexuschurchmn.com. Uh, that's all one word, nexuschurchmn.com. And we'll have all the information there for you. Uh, you can also follow us along on Facebook if you are on Facebook at Nexus Church MN. You can also uh, email us at nexuschurchmn.com at gmail.com, Facebook messages, uh, do whatever works for you so that we can connect and help you in your journey in following Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to another week in our series in the book of Mark. Now today we're going to be taking a look at what I consider to be one of the most powerful stories or examples of Jesus' heart for, for those who are hurting. And from this, this passage, we're going to see what fueled this, this passion or this burden for those who are hurting. And it, it came from a place of rest, a place of restored energy. And so if you've been with us, uh, maybe over the last couple of weeks, you, you've seen Jesus uh, doing quite a bit of work. He, he's done throughout the book of Mark extraordinary works of healings and miracles and a massive teaching. And last time we were together, we examined uh, Jesus kind of going through a little bit of a hard time. You see, Jesus had sent his disciples out to continue to do the work of what he began to spread the gospel, to spread the good news that there's forgiveness of sins and there's a way to have restored relationship with the Father. And so he sent these multitudes out to do the work and really to, to stand on his shoulders and to go further and farther than he could on his own. And so he sends them out, but while they're out, he finds out that his, his good friend, his cousin John the Baptist, whom he had loved and, and remember he was, he was baptized from, this same man ended up being beheaded by Herod. And so Jesus is going through this time of, of loss, and, and then his disciples return, and, and as we will read today, give them a report of the good things that they have done. And so we pick up our story there, and today we'll be reading from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 56. So a fairly lengthy section of, of Scripture, but it's so important that we get the full gamut of what is going on here, and, and we can see the heart of Jesus, what the Bible calls the good shepherd. And we'll talk about what that means today. 
as well. So let's dig in in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them right away, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them. And they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. <laughs> and when they went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted and is already late. Send them away so that they can go into a surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. And Jesus says, this is one of my favorite statements, right? Like, why did he ever say this? You give them something to eat, he responded. Now, later we'll find out that there was 5,000 men. That doesn't include women and children, which easily, if you just add women to it, that's 10,000, and one child per family, that's 15,000 people that are there, right? Just simple numbers. What is Jesus doing here, right? They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now, one denarius is one day's wage, right? So you're talking 200 days wage. So even that is pretty minuscule when you're talking 15,000 people to feed, right? Like a, like a fairly small city uh, in big city for northwest Minnesota. If you live in northwest Minnesota, uh, there is no towns, 15,000. So it's almost impossible, right? Even 200 denarii would not be enough. And so he asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. <laughs> I give them credit. They were obedient to this. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Five loaves of bread, two fish. Right? Round two. Here we go. Jesus, you better do something crazy. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 basketfuls of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. Okay, we'll take a break there, right? Like, this is unbelievable. Think of how long it had to take Jesus to break bread and the fish. I don't even want to think how long that would take. It was night. Like, was he super speedy or something? Like, this is unbelievable. But he kept setting it before the disciples, and they kept dispersing it among a city. That is unbelievable. Even if it was just purely men, if that's all there was, was 5,000 men in that sitting at that time, feeding just 5,000 people is out of this world. I don't know any restaurant who can claim that they sat down and fed 5,000 people in one very short period of time before it got dark. Because when it gets dark, you can't see, right? Like, this is amazing. But listen to what Jesus did next. I love this. Immediately, 
got it done, put all the fish in, in the baskets, all the bread in the baskets, and immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke with them and said, have courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened, like they're still confused. They're still discussing what in the world just happened. And then then Jesus comes along and walks by them in the middle of the rushing wind and the waves and all the fear that they had to be experiencing in the small little boat in the storm. And Jesus calms it all, calms their fear calms their this disunity that they were having about the bread he's good shepherd and then we finish up the chapter verse 53 when they had crossed over they came to the shore of Gennesaret and anchored there as the people got out of the boat people immediately recognized him they hurried throughout the region and began to carry sick on mats wherever they heard he was Wherever he went, into villages, towns, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged him that they might touch just the end of his robe. And everyone who touched it was healed. Now, there's two thoughts in this that make up one real big thought, right? Jesus had compassion. Wherever he went, he saw the people, and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. But what fueled that? And that's where I want to begin today because it's exactly where Jesus begins in this passage that we read today. He began with rest. Rest fueled Jesus. Right Right after the, the disciples, or as the passage says here, the apostles, but which were really his disciples. After they had gotten back and sent word to Jesus about all that they had done, Jesus looked at them and said, it is time, you must take a rest. This work that you have done has drained you. You must get rest, John, James, Peter. You need rest. It's important. And not only did Jesus teach that it is important to have rest, he modeled it. After he had sent everybody away, he went to spend time with the Father. Rest not only is just a time of relaxation mentally and emotionally and relationally, it's a time of reconnection with God. And Jesus reconnected with the Father. He got away from all the rush, all the busyness, all the ministry, all the good things that he was doing, right? He was doing amazing works and great things for the kingdom of God. But he knew that in order for the kingdom to continue to expand, he had to himself refuel, right? This goes all the way back to to the beginning. 
of the Bible, right? You go back to the Ten Commandments, and what do we read in the Ten Commandments? One of the big commandments that, that God gave Moses was to honor the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, to have a time set apart where it's just you and God. And we go back to the very beginning of creation when God created the earth. In Genesis, what do we read? God rested on the seventh day. It set a model for us that rest is for our good. Rest is for our good. But not only is it for our good, it's for the good of others, right? Rest and reflection and connection with the Father fueled Jesus so that he could have compassion, right? He saw the need and he had compassion. But if he was exhausted, if he was under just this this constant barrage of work, 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 if, if he didn't have that rest, I know he was God and I know he can do all things, but he was still limited by human capabilities. He still had the need for rest. He still had the need for food, for water. He had needs just like you and I. And so he took the time to rest. He modeled it and he taught it. Rest was important so that when he had that opportunity, he could have compassion and have it to the fullest. He had compassion. And then in this passage, this this compassion was linked to being a shepherd, right? What exactly is a shepherd? This rest fueled him, that's our, our, our beginning thought today, is that rest fuels our compassion, but it also fueled him for being what the Bible calls the good shepherd. The Bible calls Jesus the good shepherd, What does that mean? What exactly is a shepherd, right? If you don't know farming and you don't know sheep, sheep aren't exactly the wisest. Not many livestock are exactly the wisest, and so they need somebody to watch over them, to protect them from enemies, uh, to protect them from themselves, to give them food, to give them water, to, to, to oversee their existence so that they can be whole. And live a good life. Jesus is linked to that kind of worker, one that protects those who follow him. But in order to understand what good is, though, we need to understand what is bad. Like, in order to have good, you have to have bad. There, there's no definition of good without bad, right? There, there has to be something to compare it to. And in the Bible, we have an example of what a bad shepherd is. We have to go back to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, and we'll read verses 1 through 3, and we'll pause at that point to to examine what exactly is a, a bad shepherd, and then we'll read the rest of the passage to see what a good shepherd is. And then we'll go to one of the most famous passages in all the Bible, and that is Psalm 23, where God links the future shepherd as the good shepherd. So let's begin with Jeremiah 23. 
where God says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the shepherds who tend my people. You have scattered my flock, banished them, and have not attended to them. I'm about to tend to you because of your evil acts. This is the Lord's declaration. So, some of the important statements that Jeremiah makes there. Now, this is over really the kings of Israel at that time. They were to be the shepherds, to be the overseers of their country, over their people, the chosen people of God. They were to watch over them, to protect them, to keep them following the Ten Commandments, to keep following and pursuing God and, and offering up sacrifices, and to, as we would read in the minor prophets as a whole, to care for the widows, the orphans, the, the people who were sojourning, or what we would call the refugees today. They were to watch over them and to protect them, and throughout the, the, the New Testament, we see God saying, I am the good shepherd. I oversee them. But at this time, the kings were to be that. And instead of watching over and, and following after God's pleas as a shepherd, they destroyed and they scattered and they did not attend to their people. They didn't care about those that they were to protect. And so they let their sheep or the nation as a whole go out and destroy itself and not follow after God's ways. And so, over time, God kicked them out and said, I've had enough of you. I have a good shepherd. I have one who will actually care for my people and I will raise him up and he will take over and not just care for my people Israel, but care for all people. Let's just continue reading in verse 3. I will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands where I have banished them, and I will return them to the grazing land. They will become fruitful and numerous. I will raise up shepherds over them who will tend to them. They will no longer be afraid or discouraged, nor will any be missing. This is the Lord's declaration. Look, verse 5, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will raise up a righteous branch of David. Now that's alluding to Jesus now. He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Right? Someday. God was saying, I'm going to welcome you back into the land that I promised. I promised to Abraham all those years ago, centuries, right? I will bring my people back. I promised them, and I will return them. But this time, this time, they will have a shepherd that will reign, not just on earth, but as we will read throughout the Bible, he will reign for all of eternity in a place that will never perish, in a place that's perfect. There's no more pain, no more sorrow. And we will have heavenly bodies that will be perfect. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd. 
Listen to what David says of this good shepherd in Psalm 23. I realize many of you have heard this passage many times, but, but just apply this to Jesus, right? Think about this good shepherd in Psalm 23 as Jesus himself. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Some of those, those examples of what a good shepherd is, right? Just list them off. A provider. He gives rest. He guides. He renews. He protects. He prepares. He anoints. He pursues. Like, God is good. He gives us everything we need. He is the good shepherd. And in our passage today, Jesus gives us a great example when he looks out on the crowd and he is broken. He is broken once again because he sees that they are sheep without a shepherd. This, this promise that God made all the way back in Jeremiah. Even back to David himself, where God promised that he would send the good shepherd, and he will protect, and he will reign, and he will be good. He will bless, he will anoint, provide, give rest. And Jesus looks out and he says, these people, these people are no better off than when they were given that promise in Jeremiah and David. And he looks out. And as he has this compassion, he becomes their good shepherd. And he starts to teach them. He teaches them. He is a good shepherd. He, he gives them the knowledge that they were lacking. He again reminds them of the goodness of God. And then as He's alone and he's with the Father and resting up. He sees in his spirit that his disciples are at unrest and he has concern for them. And he goes to be with them. He cuts his time short with the Father to go and to minister to his disciples because he sees that they are hurting and that they are tormented internally. Where he cares about our minds our ability to understand God. He cares about our inside, our emotional well-being. God cares. He cares. He fed the multitudes. He cares about our physical being. He cares about our emotional being. He cares about our knowledge. And he also cares about those who are really in pain and sick. 
because as he approaches the land, right? Now, I realize that we haven't talked about this, this demon-possessed man, but the Gennesaret is where the demon-possessed man was healed. And in that place, they had driven Jesus out of. Jesus comes back to. And he sees the sick and the hurting, and he goes to them, and he cares for them. And what do they do? They just touch his robe, and he gives them the power of healing. By just their touching and having faith that he could heal, he heals them. The multitudes, he heals them all. And this was all done because of his love. We're the sheep. We're the lost. We're the hurting. And there is nowhere better in scriptures than John chapter 10, where we see the heart of Jesus for the sheep, for us. And so I will read John chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, where Jesus proclaims this love for people, for the lost. The ultimate healing that we all need is restoration with God. And though Jesus could touch the minds of people so they could understand the truths of God, though Jesus is going to fulfill in all of our physical needs that we possibly could have, whether we're sick or whether we're, we're hungry or whether we're emotionally unstable, God cares for them all. But if, if, if he just cared for our souls, that would be sufficient. And so let's read John 10, verses 1 through 11. The Good Shepherd. Truly, I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way as a thief and a robber, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens in it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. Right? He calls you by name. He leads you every step of the way. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. And Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. And so Jesus went further and said, Truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. Right? All the all those other shepherds that came to Israel and led them astray. Jesus was saying, don't listen to them. Don't follow them. There's only one shepherd who is to care for your soul, and that is me. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. What a picture of who Jesus is. He, Jesus, 
laid down his life for you. So that you could have freedom. And today, I don't know where you are at with God. But I want you to come back to that place where you look at Jesus and say, I don't know what this all means, but I want you to be my shepherd. Will you make him your shepherd? Will you fall underneath his leadership? Because if the sheep get ahead of the shepherd, if they think that they have the right path, if they think they can make the decisions, they're wrong. We are all sheep and we are all fallen prey to going the wrong way. Only he knows what's best and he desires to lead you. Will you let him lead you? You see, Jesus came to be Savior, right? He came to take away all the sins of the world. And if we give our lives to him, he will forgive us and give us a right relationship with the Father. But he's just not a Savior. See, the good shepherd is also Lord, and he has control over all things, and he wants to have control of your life. The only way he can truly have control of your life is if you give it to him. If you give him your will and say, you are my Savior, and now I accept you as my Savior, and I make you my Lord. Then he can be the good shepherd and remember, the good shepherd cares for his sheep. Every aspect of your life. So, Father, I pray for every person listening today or watching today. I pray that you will remind them, Father, that you are not just Savior, which we love and we appreciate and we thank you for, but, God, you are also Lord. And today, I ask that we not only allow you to be our Savior, but that we will give you control of our life and make you Lord of our life. And so, Father, I pray that for everybody listening, that they will in their spirit cry out to you and say, Jesus, I accept that you died for me, that you rose from the grave, and that you conquered all of my sin for all times. I am following after you. I'm following you, and I'm making you Lord of my life. I'm giving you control of my life so that you can be my good shepherd. I pray that for every person in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, Nexus Church family, and we'll see you again real soon.